I think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 349 of Low Limit Football on this 19th of February, 2022. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, things get tighter in the EPL title race, begging the question, did we call it too soon? The Maradona Derby ends in a 1-1 draw with the second leg of Napoli-Barca coming in the Legends Stadium in Naples this coming Thursday. And we've kicked off the round of 16 in the Champions League. We're going to discuss the results from the past week and the upcoming fixtures with our very special guest, Mr. Nima Tavale from SemperInter.com and the Italian Football Podcast. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. I have a question for you. How was it this week sitting in the studios at NBC Studios watching that third goal come from Harry Kane against uh, Manchester City to win it for Tottenham Hotspur? I think what makes it even more incredible that you're in the same exact studios where they recorded Saturday Night Live. So it makes it even more special. But yeah, it was insane. It was insane. I think um, what we saw in the last couple of, couple of hours is probably one of the all-time great Premier League matches and it could be one that could indeed decide the title race when everyone thought that it was over about a month or two ago you and I have both said it that uh, you know we, we were the first ones to really declare Manchester City the champions is it time to reverse on this decision we have to wait and see a lot of big games coming up and especially the big one between Manchester City and Liverpool happening uh, in April as well. Don't get too far ahead of us, my friend. Don't get too far ahead of us. So yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful finish, and uh, and I know we're going to discuss more of it uh, in just a couple of minutes. But first, I have the honor of trivia this week, my friend. It's a very easy one. It's a simple one. If you were paying to, uh, attention to Twitter today, you probably saw the answer to it. Uh, but let me lay it on you. This is a question. The uh, the source is ESPN FC, and it's a simple one. There are two teams in the top five leagues that are currently still unbeaten at home in all competitions. Can you name them? Ooh, that's a good one. Yep. Two teams. Simple. Unbeaten. So they've drawn. They've had draws at home. But uh, 
I know one of the teams. I saw a stat the other day about one of the teams, but I'm not too sure about the second one. All right. So that's the that's the simple trivia question. We're going to give you the answer at the end of the show. Let's go into opening thoughts. And our opening thoughts, of course, is going back to our decision to calling the uh, Premier League title race back in December, uh, where you recalled your tweet, my friend, uh, a little earlier on today. Uh, we declared Manchester City the winner. We didn't expect anybody to be able to catch them. And yet here we are. We are at match uh, match week, I believe, 26, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, depending on where you are, 26 or 25. And Manchester City hold a six-point lead at the time of this recording over Liverpool. Liverpool have a match at hand, which is going to be played this week against Leeds United. Um, obviously, uh, a quick little giveaway as to the uh, matches of the week coming up in just a little bit. Um but Liverpool is potentially three points back. Now, Leeds United currently sit 15th place. They've lost two of their last three, or winless in their last three, if you look at them. And, uh, you know, you don't expect Liverpool to really get challenged. Liverpool had a great, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a great Champions League match against Inter midweek because uh, for 70 minutes, and again, we're going to get Nima Tavale in here in just a little bit, and I'm sure he's going to have many opinions on this. Uh, Inter were the better side in that match. So Liverpool... Obviously going and um, but pulling off the 2-0 victory midweek, they turn around and they get bottom-dwelling Norwich, beat them 3-1. And here's Leeds United, and you know this is the opportunity to get with, within one match, one match of Manchester City, where they were, I believe, I want to say 12 or 14 points ahead uh, at one point when we decided to call this, uh, this race. Here we are, and, and looking at the schedules moving forward, this is going to be one of the things we're going to get into. I'm going to go out on the limb right away, first and foremost, and say I'm not retracting my statement. I'm still going to declare Manchester City the champion for me personally. And, of course, I've gotten it wrong because I had Chelsea winning the whole thing at the beginning of the season. Um, but looking at the two schedules leading into that that matchup between them, I believe it's on April 9th, and I'm going to go check my, uh, my info here real quick. Um, I believe it's April 9th where the two of them face each other you know, it could potentially still be three points apart with no matches at hand. Uh, I'm just looking, scanning real quick. If you bear with me one second, Liverpool, Manchester is going to be at the Etihad on April 9th. So, you know, they've, they've got some matches between them. I think uh, currently Liverpool have six matches to go. Manchester City have five matches to go before we hit that matchup. But looking at their strength of schedules, Liverpool have a much, much more difficult road to to hoe to get there, including matches against the fourth place team, the fifth place team and the sixth place team uh, in their six matches. So I'm sticking with my prediction or my declaration that Man City is the champion. How about you, Mr. Rojas? What do you think of what's happened? And are you going to stick by what we uh, said back in December? I will. I will. I I think... um... You know what we've seen from this title race, and I think we know about the unpredictability about the Premier League. We knew this for quite some time. Having said that, I think looking at uh, both these teams, both Liverpool and Man City, I think you still have to factor City as the more stronger team. Okay, they had their off day against a Tottenham side that literally was able to control the game, and and mind you, you know the City side did not give up. You know they only conceded in the last minute. Um, and it was very unfortunate to do so. But nevertheless, they're still a side that are a force to be reckoned with. Having said that, I think this is where all the nitty-gritty comes into like how much they prioritize the Champions League with the Premier League. We've said that before about how a City side, who obviously made the final last year, did not win it. But it was always that kind of big 
missed opportunity for them where they would probably wrap up the league very early and then try to focus on the Champions League only for them to, you know, lose traction either the quarterfinals or the semifinals. So I think it's still going to go in City's hands. I still think there are the favorites. I mean, I think they know that they have this really good side that has been performing well. It hasn't changed a lot either. You can know that. The Liverpool side has indeed changed a bit. I just got someone like Luis Diaz into the squad. But no, I, I think I think looking at it as a whole, I think looking at how both these teams compete, I think we still are looking at a city side that is probably better than uh, Liverpool. And not by a lot, actually. I mean, I, I think it's still very much um, two sides that are very even. But I, I just think that when you look at the squad itself and, and even looking at Liverpool can be suspect sometimes in their matches... I think if one of them drops more points, and that being Liverpool, I think this just gives City a big opportunity. Having said that, now Liverpool now need to get this game against Leeds midweek that they have to take advantage. Because if they don't take advantage, then it's just going back to where we started beforehand, where City are still in pole position to win the Premier League. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, just looking at the fixtures moving ahead, um, like you mentioned Leeds, like we both mentioned Leeds. Then just looking at Chelsea's, I'm sorry, Liverpool's um, fixtures coming up. Leading up to the Man City-Liverpool matchup on the road, by the way, um, Liverpool have to play Leeds. Then they have to go to Chelsea um, in the EF, EF, uh, L Cup final. Then they host Norwich. They're going to host um, Norwich in the FA Cup, by the way. Uh, then back to the Premier League where they'll host West Ham. Then they're going to host Inter in the uh, in the Champions League. And obviously Inter, you know, we're, we're going to get more of this from Nima, but... This is this is not going to be an easy situation. Uh, they do bring a 2-0 uh, victory home to uh, Anfield, but it's still going to be Inter Milan. They're going to have to deal with Edin Dzeko, Lautaro Martinez, who's really looking to, to get off the uh, the goal-scoring slide here. And, and there's still a very potent attack under Simone Inzaghi. So we're, we're going to have a tough out there. Then we're going to face Brighton on the road, Arsenal on the road, Manchester United at home, Watford at home, and then go back to sit uh, to Manchester to face City in that fixture on April 9th. It is a massive, massive task to have these six matches coming up, plus the, the extracurriculars of the uh, the EFL Cup, the FA Cup, and the Champions League. And you also, you think back to their, their biggest and brightest stars, which are really Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. Uh, those guys are still coming off of a full and complete uh, African Cup of Nations really not getting much rest. So you start to worry about how much can Mo Salah and Sadio Mane give you across all competitions. I'll be honest with you, I don't expect either of those players to feature in the uh, FA Cup match against Norwich. You might not even see them in the EFL Cup match, but this is a team that's got a lot of mileage on it with their superstars. Then they're going to face this tough road. And like I said, West Ham is no easy out. Inter's going to come for blood. Arsenal has, has been hit or miss, but they could be hit that time. United are still trying to stay in the top four, and then they're going to get to City again. This is a massive, massive road to, to overcome. And I think when you compare it to the City fixtures across all competitions coming up, um, it, it's a very different look. Uh, City have Everton uh, on the road. Then they're going to face Peterborough in the FA Cup. That should be a cakewalk for them. Big one in the Manchester Derby right after that on March 6th. But then they're going to get Sporting at home after a 5-0 victory in Lisbon. I think that's going to be a cakewalk. Palace on the road, Brighton at home, Burnley on the road, and then they host Liverpool. It is a much, much easier road where Pep Guardiola can be strategic with his with his roster. He does have a deep roster. Um, maybe get some of those guys time that need to get out of that funk. That Peterborough match really 
you know, it stands out for me because if, if you've got guys that are struggling to play, struggling to score goals and that sort of thing, um, that that would be the place if I'm Pep Guardiola where I play them against a weaker side that you can, you know, get healthy on and get and get confident on moving into those other matches. And then, uh, you know, between that Peterborough match and then right after the the, Man- the Manchester Derby, they go into Peterborough, win big, come home, host United, win big again. Um, they'll be flying high and you know, that Liverpool match will, will be a, a much easier task for them. Do you see Pep Guardiola kind of, you know, easing off the gas a little bit in that Peterborough match and, and the sporting match, of course, because they held, they hold such a big league lead. Do you see them kind of, do you see Pep kind of being strategic with the players he plays and the, and the substitutions he makes to give his players rest, knowing that that opportunity, as long as they keep pace, that opportunity against Liverpool uh, on the on the ninth will really just kind of seal it. I mean, I th- they have to, don't you think? I think I, I given the circumstances that they have to deal with and the fact that they don't want to overplay their players, they have to do in those games that are much more easier or the fact that ties are over, like the one against uh, Sporting. I, I agree. I agree completely. So let's give you the full table right now in the Premier League as we stand after 26 matches. Although some teams like Wolves and Tottenham Hotspur have only played 23. And, you know, now that I'm so I want to do some quick math here, uh, that would be 48 points. It's, it's a bridge too far for Spurs. Um, because they have three matches at hand on City. But City currently lead 63 points. Liverpool on 25 matches, 57. Um, Chelsea on 25 matches as well as 50 points. Uh, the Man United on 25 matches at 43 points. West Ham, for, uh, uh, tw- uh, 42 points. Arsenal on 42 points with 23 matches. Tottenham on 23 matches, 39 points. Then you've got Wolves at 37, Brighton and Hove Albion at 33, Southampton at 32, Leicester City on 22 matches. Um, are on 27 points as well as Aston Villa on 24 matches, 27 points. Crystal Palace on 26, Brentford on 24. Then it's going to get a little sticky here for me, Roberto. Actually, I want to start the sticky at Brentford. 24 points, Leeds at 23. Then we have Everton and Newcastle, both on 22 points, but now we're into the relegation zone. Watford at 18, Burnley at 17, Norwich at 17 as well. I never expected Norwich to get to 17 points to kind of actually make it a challenge where they might actually get out of the relegation zone. Newcastle uh, drawing earlier today, Everton losing, um, you know, back on the 18th, they've got, they've got the city on the 25th that we talked about. Um, what do you see going on at the bottom of the table? Cause I think this is where it can get interesting and looking at it, that leads match at 23 points. They're only five points ahead of Watford. Um, the Leeds matchup against Liverpool really becomes important for Leeds as much as it does for Liverpool. Absolutely. I think when you look at that bottom of the table, I think it's still a big race. I think you still look at a few sides that are still willing to get uh, enough wins to get out of that. I think Watford, for example, took a huge step today, getting that win against Aston Villa to you know close the gap even more. Newcastle failed their opportunity to get something against West Ham. And you know, looking at Everton as well under Frank Lampard, you know, they have a tough game. They have two tough games, really, when you look at it. They got City next, then they got to play Tottenham, who just beat that City side. So another missed opportunity in that win against Southampton. And for Leeds, yeah, I agree. I think that win against Manchester United, um, that game against Manchester United, is like, you know, you take advantage of a United side who are hot and cold. You never know what to expect from them. So you look at how Leeds are a side that are very tricky, but you don't know what to expect from them either. So you got two sides that are very much, I would say, bad in a way. So I think, um, well, not bad, but like a bit mismanaged. And, you know, you don't know what to expect. So I, I think for Leeds, in this case, they have to take advantage of that and try to get 
the result that they need against Manchester United to try to, to ease them outside of the relegation zone because the more points that they're able to get, the more that they can get away from that. And so it's all about getting those crucial points and especially when you do it at home. One more thing I want to bring up. Uh, obviously, Chelsea win today 1-0 over uh, Crystal Palace. Um, leaving it awful, awful late with a Hakim Ziyech goal in the 89th minute. Um, much has been made about um, Romelu Lukaku. I believe he only had like two touches today. Uh, no shots on goal. I mean, he he did nothing for, for Chelsea today. Um, is this more of, of him being incorporated into Thomas Tuchel's system um, where it's just not the right fit, you know, round peg, square hole? Um, or is it something that, you know, maybe... It's just overall the the Premier League is not a, a fit style for him because, you know, what we saw at Inter out of him last season was nothing short of incredible. Um, but now much has been made about his lack of performance for Chelsea w- with a team that's, that's you know, very, very good. They're, they're the Champions League, uh, defending Champions League uh, winners. So, you know, what's going on with Lukaku? Do you think that this is just a bad fit for him and maybe he should try to force his way out in the summer or... Do you think that this is maybe something that Tuchel can can maybe factor him in and figure it out? I mean, they paid all that money for him. They're not going to just get rid of him in just one one season. I, I mean, it's weird. And, and you say it's not a right fit. I mean, you know, this is a guy that played in the Premier League before. So I don't know what you're talking about, Joe, in that sense of like, you know, what kind of player we can expect when you're looking at the type of style that the league that he's playing in. So it, it has to be the way that Tuchel is setting up his side. I mean, yeah. you, you have him him very much as a lone striker you know maybe you don't see him uh working with another duo i mean it's very different than what we saw at inter so yeah, yeah it's weird it, it really is because he, he started off so well in the season and you know that interview came where he was not happy about that system and it, it, it's such a weird case and i had I, I mean I don't want to say, oh, it's Chelsea striker curse again, like they've always done with numerous strikers beforehand. It's just, I, I don't know anymore what to really expect from him. But you still have a player there. You still have a player there. I mean, you know, look at someone like Harry Kane, for example. I mean, this was someone that also was hot and cold, and now he comes in and has those type of matches. I think it's just those type of games where, you know, you get lucky from Lukaku in one game, and you don't get lucky in the other one. And I think that's really what to expect from him, but... Yeah, I don't know if he would leave so soon from from Chelsea. It just, especially for all that money, it's like no, I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, you know, and just looking at it, even today, you know, he's he's shoehorned into that four three three setup. Uh, you bring up a great point because at Inter under Antonio Conte, he played in a three five two with Lautaro Martinez, and the two of them just played so well off of each other that it it really freed up Lukaku to do the things that he normally does in. Like you said, it kind of, you know, maybe it's a system, maybe it's Tuchel, uh, but but he's definitely not this this striker. He's definitely much better than this. And hopefully Tuchel can figure it out and kind of tweak a few things to, to get him going again um, because it's a shame to waste that kind of talent in this position. So let's table our discussion of the champ. I'm sorry, of the uh, of the Premier League. And let's get our host, our, our guest in here. Um, we're lucky enough to have Nima Tavoli join us from SemperInter.com and the Italian Football Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to talk to him about uh, both Serie A, um, you know, how Inter's doing, and the Champions League especially because Nima follows all things football. So without further ado, the Nima Tavoli interview. 
And joining us now on Low Limit Football from SemperInter.com and the Italian Football Podcast, Mr. Nima Tavale. Nima, welcome back to the show. Always enjoy having you on. I really want to jump in first and foremost and talk about Inter's performance against Liverpool in the Champions League this week. Uh, you know, losing 2-0 at home, un- really unfortunate to give up that second goal where they could have held Liverpool to one goal and really had a, a really fighting chance uh, going back to Anfield for the second leg. Now it, it's it's a pretty difficult task to go to Anfield, score two goals at least to force extra time. What were your thoughts on their performance, especially when you look at the way they look like they performed very, very well for 70-ish minutes, and then all of a sudden the wheels came off. What were your thoughts on the match overall? Well, first of all, it's good to be with you guys again. Uh, my thoughts were exactly that this was a continuation and uh, what this season has been and, and, and for good and bad. Um, and the good part is that Inter are a very progressive side under Simone Inzaghi who know how to hurt teams with their movement, their passing. They have a very clear identity in how they want to play. But they missed that lacking, that, that final thing. And what is that final thing? Well, that's exactly what I was worried about in August after they sold Romelu Lukaku and they replaced him with Edin Dzeko in this moment in his career at 35, soon 36. And Joaquin Correa, who is, is whatever he is, he's not a goal scorer. And that's the thing. Inter don't have a natural goal scorer. And although they've scored that many goals, they don't have that killer in the box uh, that they've always had in the past. Be it Mauro Icardi, be it Romelu Lukaku, whoever you want to you know, go back. Before that, even Diego Milito. They don't have that killer in the box. And that costs them. And that has cost them in all big games. Um, from Derby, Juve... The Lazio game, the first one that they lost, Atalanta games at home and way when they drew. Um, this is this is this is what this team lacks. Um, the the play is there, the coach is there, everything is there. It's just they don't have a natural goal scorer, and that's something that I knew was going to cost them in the, in the in the Champions League when you play the absolute best teams in Europe, where which Liverpool definitely is, and that's what cost them because if Inter, any, I mean. Inter played equal to uh, Real, uh, to, to uh, Liverpool for 70 minutes, and they played really well, and they created so many chances, but they cannot score. Um, they need five, six, seven, eight chances to score one, two goals, and you can't have that when you play in the Champions League, especially of a team against a team of Liverpool's pedigree. They probably have the same amount of chances. The difference is that Liverpool have Firmino and Mohamed Salah, and Inter don't. They have a 35-year-old Edin Dzeko, and they have a Lautaro Martinez who has never, ever, ever, ever been a killer in the box. He's a second striker, a seconda punta, to use Italian football terminology. And he's a great link-up player, but he he's not a finisher. He's never been a finisher. And to expect him to be that finisher was a mistake. And that's the mistake that I was worried about in August when they didn't replace Lukaku properly. And that's the one, and that's what cost him in the end against Liverpool. Nima, the last time we spoke, obviously, you know, going back into that thing of a lack of a goal scorer, because we go back to Lautaro Martinez, this was also a player that also just renovated his contract with Inter. So yeah. some of the situations that the club is in, I mean, is this the case where Inter just have to continue to stick with these players that they have? Or do you feel that, you know, they need to find someone in the summer to get that killer? No, goal? no, 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 no. Inter are going to have a, a busy summer. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, the Matias Vecino, the era of Matias Vecino, Arturo Vidal, uh, Alexander Kolarov, Samir Handanovic, all these players are going to be replaced. Or if they extend, they will, in Vecino and Vidal's case, they won't, in Kolarov's case as well. But in Handanovic's case, the, if he stays, he'll be as a back fiddle, at least to begin with, or fight for his place. He's not guaranteed to start. 
Um, and that's why, you know, Inter will replace them and they will bring in strikers. The links to, Shkama- to Scamacca, Gianluca Scamacca, Sassolo, I don't think are by chance. Uh, this is a player who Beppe Marotta, uh, the Inter sporting CEO, wanted uh, highly uh, when Lukaku left in the summer, last summer. And Sassolo said, no, this is something that Carnevale, Carnevale the Sassolo CEO, confirmed. And this is a player who Marotta wants, and now he's a, kind of exploded a little bit. Um, and this is a player they will get, um, or look to get, or, or someone like that with his characteristics. Yeah. So, excuse me, excuse me. So, so I think that personally, and this is not me reporting something. This is something that this is a feeling I've had since last summer. Uh, I knew that, he, that Lautaro was going to extend his contract, um, but I have I've always said that I think this is the last season Lautaro has at Inter um, because. When you look at the club's finances and you look at everything that's happening, you look at the new project. The project is a Marotta project, meaning long-term, homegrown, sustainable, financially sustainable. And then you you have to sell players to make ends meet to be able to bring in new young players with lower wages. And you look at that squad and you're like, well, who's expendable? Well, the expendables are Stefan de Frey and Lautaro Martinez. These are the players who either in the Fry's case is pushing 30 uh, his contract expires in a year and they can this is the last chance to cash in on him and to replace him with a player who earns if not on par then slightly lower and the same with Lautaro Martinez you know he's a player that they can get 70 80 million for and then they can use that money wisely to buy younger players who can fill that role which inter lack so I actually wanted to pose a, a two-part question on this one, Nima. Number one, if indeed Lautaro Martinez goes, who do you feel is going to replace him? And I wanted to ask, who is your realistic bet and also who is your dream bet to replace him? Uh, look, if it were up to me, Antonio Conte would never have left. Asha Fakimi would have stayed. Romelu Lukaku would have stayed. And Christian Eriksen would have been replaced by Rodrigo de Paul, who I absolutely adore and think is a fantastic midfielder. And to be honest, this is he and Romero, Cuti Romero and... and uh, you know, the, the spine of the Argentina team is why I think Argentina will win the World Cup. They have a strong central line that is really difficult to break down. And we saw that in the Copa America, although Copa America is not really. The teams in that tournament are no longer what they used to be. I still think that they, in a, in a, in a tournament like the World Cup, I think Argentina will be able to, to win that because of the way that they played in the Copa America and the way that, the, you, you, you know, that they have played since. They're very strong defensively. Um, but to get back to your question, realistically, who they bring in, I think someone, Fratesians, Scamacca are players that they want. Um, I think it depends on what happens with, you know, if they say Lautaro, they will have to replace him. I think Raspadori is a player they're looking at. We know that Inter has been looking at him uh, for a long time, um, but I don't think it'll, it'll be enough because, okay, so Scamacca, Jekos, Alexis Sanchez and Raspadori, fair enough. But then you look at the midfield and, okay, Fratesi comes in and De Frey is sold. You have to replace them with Bremer and Fratesi. You need another player as well. If Perisic stays, uh, that's something else because he can play centrally um, as well. He can play everywhere. I mean, this season we've seen with Perisic that uh, I never thought and I don't think anyone expected him to have this kind of output towards the twilight of his career. He's been absolutely extraordinary. Um, He's become a leader in a way that I really didn't expect him to become at Inter. And if Gorsens plays on the left wing and Perisic, his movement, I mean, again, these past few games against Liverpool, against Napoli, there's not an inch of that pitch that he didn't cover. 
be it defensively or in a, or in attack. So I think Perisic, Korea, these players will help out. But yeah, those are those are the main players I expect to see: Skamaka, Raspadori, Fratesi. And I'm okay with that. I think this is a Marotta project. Inter are rebuilding. They're ending one era and they're going into another. And that will probably need some time. Inter probably won't win the Scudetto next season. It's too soon to say anything about that, given that we're halfway through this one. And we need to see what happens in the summer. But I don't expect Inter to make the Romelu Lukaku-type signings anytime soon. So, Nima, I want to jump in here because I want to go back to the Champions League real quick. Um, Obviously, I want to get your opinion. 2-0 down to Liverpool going into the second leg at Anfield. Does Inter have a chance? Do you think they can actually get uh, get through and, uh, and and beat Liverpool 2-0 no, or better? No, no, no. No, 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 no. The Inter have a chance against Liverpool. I mean, we saw the chance was at home to build a, to have a one or two goal lead going into Anfield. At Anfield, it's about keeping the numbers down mm-hmm. uh, because anyone who goes into Anfield against this Liverpool side, who I expect to go to the final of the Champions League, whether they win it is a different thing. But this is a, this is a Liverpool side. I, For me, they're the favourites to win the, the tournament. Um, so I don't expect them to turn anything around. The chance was at San Siro. They, 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 they played a really good game. They went head-to-head with one of the best teams in the world. And we know now on paper, black on white, what is missing. So they need to learn from that and build from that. Um, I think going to Anfield, it's about trying to to. This is a this is a learning experience to see how far away. I mean, let's remember that Inter haven't been in the knockout stages of the Champions League for a decade, um, and this is a learning experience. This team is not supposed to win the Champions League this year. Um, they were just supposed to qualify into the second round, and they did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a learning experience for this team that has won the Scudetto, the Supercoppa. Now they have to repeat that win in the Serie A and hopefully win the Coppa Italia and then take next steps from that. So it's very much a work in progress. But the thing that I'm very comfortable and happy about is that that project is overseen and run entirely by Beppe Marotta, who just extended his contract until the end of June 2025. And, and he's, a, he's a wonderful... Uh... You know, builder of teams for sure. I I know firsthand. So, um, outstanding, outstanding. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you another another question before I continue my Champions League stuff, because I've always thought about this. For me, I'm uh, as as most of the listeners know, Roberto knows. You probably know. I'm an Italian homer. Um, you know, for me, <laughs> I, I, I I am. I'll admit it. I don't care. Um, so for me, when I watch when I watch Italian teams play in the European competitions, Champions League, Europa, whatever. I tend to root for them, and and I know God rest my soul because I'm rooting for Inter. But uh, you know, I I'm you know I'm rooting for them. I, I want the Italian teams to really fare well because it, well, of course, it's, it's of a, course, it's, it's good a for the Serie A. It's right. good for the Serie A. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's good for the Serie A. No, it is all Italian. The better. I mean, we all. I want Napoli or Atalanta to win the Europa League. So right. you know, we all want the Italian team to do well. I, I would like a Napoli, uh, you know, Napoli uh, Atalanta final in the Europa League with combined with an Inter Juve final. That would be final. beautiful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, so so you're on the same page as me, and and I, I wanted to ask you if you were if you were an Italian f- first, or if you're one of these. I, I know I've asked like Alex Dono and a couple of people that that are like, no, they could never root for Juve if they're Inter fans or vice versa, which drives me bananas. But um, because we're all in this together, you know, but <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, that's what I wanted to no, ask. I'm not, you. I, I don't I don't root for Juve, but I'm not exactly gunning for them to lose. If right. they, I think it would be an absolute disgrace if they were to bow out against Biar. I really do think that because I think Juventus are better than Villarreal and I think Max Allegri is should be able to tactically outmaneuver Villarreal I really think so um, and, I, and I expect him to be able to do that I think it will be tight I don't think it will be 
you know, dominant for any team by any stretch of the imagination. But I do expect Juve to go to the quarterfinals. Well, I do that. I do expect that. Thank you for my segue, because <laughs> this is the way I wanted to go. Um, you know, I, I wanted to talk about Juve Villarreal coming up, um, you know, in, in this week's uh, round of Champions League matches. Also wanted to talk about them now dropping, uh, you know, two draws back to back against, you know, difficult sides in Atalanta. Um, and then this weekend uh, as well, uh, or on, I'm sorry, on uh, on Friday in the uh, Derby de la Mole. Um, People are looking at Dusan Vlaovic and saying that he's a pretender. You know, he hasn't scored in 334 minutes and blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, listen, I don't want to listen to that nonsense. No, that's nonsense. He's 21 years old, soon 22. I don't know if he's had his 20. Oh, he's actually had his 22nd birthday, hasn't he, recently yeah. when he signed for you. But look, this is nonsense. We're talking about a young striker, well, an, an absolute killer in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, the most you, If I were to mold a Juventus kind of player, it would be him. He's, it's about efficiency. It's about winning. It doesn't matter how it looks. Look, Juventus, after the absolute cluster show that Fabio Paratici left, is returning back to its roots. And they're returning to their roots with Arriva Bene, who I think has been outstanding, Cherubini, who I think has been outstanding. They're cleaning up the mess and they're going back to what Juve was. Juve has never been AC Milan. Juve has never been about entertaining. At Juve, the only, as the saying, as the old adage goes, at Juve, you, if winning isn't important, it's the only thing that counts. And that's how Juve have always been. And they're returning back to their roots. And I think they're laying the foundations for something really interesting, which might not look pretty in the age of social media, but who cares? It's about winning. And that's all that matters at Juve. And they, they tried the galactical thing. They did that with Cristiano Ronaldo, and it failed miserably. Mm-hmm. It did. Uh, not, and I, don't, I mean sporting-wise, not you know financially, or even financially because they couldn't afford his wages. But I'm talking about in terms of, you know, their global brand grew a lot. Absolutely. It really, really grew. But they didn't win the Scudetto. They never got past. They never got to a semi-final of the Champions League. The the reason they bought him was to win it. And they weren't even close. So that Galactico experiment was a failure. And Juve is going back to their roots. And that's a wise thing to do. And it's going to take time. Um, I expect Juve to get to the quarterfinals. I I expect Juve to finish in the top four in the Serie A. And then another summer transfer window where Arriva Bene and Cherubini do their, do their work and clean out the dead wood that are not good enough to be at Juve and bring in players that are good enough to be at Juve and give Max what he wants because he knows what Los Stile Juve is. Mm-hmm. You know, he embodies it in every way and, and, and they will build from that accordingly. Give me a name. Give me a name that Juve should cut out his dead wood. I mean, you know, everyone talks about um, Betancourt, they talk about Kulishevsky, that they no, got rid but, of it. No, no, no. But for me, for me, for me, Weston McKenney, and, that, you know, he's he's not a Juve player. I know that he's got good numbers, and, but I look at him and he's so, the deficiency technically is just, you know, and, and I don't, you know, it's just, I just don't think he's anything else other other than a squad player. Mm-hmm. Adrian Rabio, same thing there. He's not a Juve player. Juve need another midfielder, at least. They need uh, another central defender. I personally think that Alessio Romagnoli, who's a player who I'd never really rated because I don't think he can play, or we know that he can't play in a team that plays with a high defensive line. But the thing is that Allegri doesn't play with a high defensive line. He plays with a rather deep defensive line. And next to De Ligt, if they can keep him, if they can keep him happy, and if he wants to stay... I think Romagnoli, together with De Ligt, in the Allegri system, it could be a little bit like when Barzagli came to 
to Juve for nothing from Wolfsburg and then form that legendary three-man defense. I'm not mm. saying that he's going to be as good, but I do see potential there. That's what I'm saying. And I think players like Romagnoli would be outstanding for Juve. They need a left-footed centre-back, and he is that. He knows the Serie A. Uh, Allegri knows how to get the best out of players like that. Um, I think in the midfield, they need to find... Look, I really rate Artur Melo. I think they need to make a decision on him. Do we believe in him or do we not believe in him? And if we do believe in him, then we have to play him and mould him to play in front of the defence. If not, then you need to send him because it's not working. And players who I'd I'd bring in, I mean, there's been rumours to Verratti and Jorginho, and that makes sense to me. That really makes sense. That's the kind of midfield that Allegri would like next to Zakaria and Locatelli, who I think should be a Mezzala because his dynamism is, is outstanding. And we've seen that for the Italian national team as well. Dybala, in or out? I think I would sell him. I, I would not sell him. I, I'd run that contract out. This is what his third, fifth, what sixth injury this Something season. Like that, I mean, yeah. it's not working. It's not working. And I love La Hoya. I mean, even though he's a Juventino, if I, if as a as an Interista, he's a player who I'm who I was like I've always been in awe of because mm. he is absolutely outstanding when he's fit. The reason I say let him go is because he's not worth the ten million net that he's asking for per season. He's mm. not. If they if he stays at six, fine, then yes. But he's not worth ten. And that's something that they need to work out. I think for Juve's sake, they will try their best and explain to him that this is the new Juve, this is Juve going back to basics. At Juve, Juve comes first. Alessandro Del Piero learned that the hard way. And Dybala is not bigger at Juve than Alessandro Del Piero. Totally, totally. One more question before I let you go. Um this week we saw that a um an American bought the uh the majority share yeah. of Atalanta. Uh, I believe it makes seven American owners, from the information I saw, seven American owners in the Serie A. Why are so many American owners going to Italy uh, and, and buying teams when, when you've got the MLS that's perfectly well, fine right here? Well, if we if we look at the seven owners, most of them, a majority of them, are Italian-Americans. True. Um, if you look at the Serie A, you have Matt, Matt Rizzetta at Ascoli, you have Joe Tacopina at Spal, mm-hmm. uh, all Italian-Americans. And I think that's a really wise way to go because Italian-Americans are Americans in the sense that they understand the modern business side of things, but they're also Italian, so they understand the Italian culture. They have a deeper understanding of it than anyone else would have. So I've always thought that this was a good idea, but I don't think that, you need to understand where you go. You need to be a little bit more diplomatic when you go in there. You, you know, as much as I love Rocco Comiso, and I agree with him in everything he says when he says that if I'm supposed to pay for anything, then I want to own it. Mm-hmm. That's just common sense. The problem is you're not in common sense land. You're in Italy. In Italy, <laughs> things have worked the way they have for about 100 years, for, for 2,000 years. You're not going to yeah. change that. You know, Florence isn't going to change for Rocco Comiso. And Rocco Comiso needs to adapt and be use his diplomacy. And he needs to, you know, and, 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 and that's the problem, I think, with that project. I mean, what happened with Mike Piazza as well. I mean, look, I, I think I've always been a big fan of this Italian-Americans returning to the home country and investing because they have, the, they have an advantage over other owners from other countries because they understand the culture. But they need to understand it and understand it that they can't come in and this isn't the United States. This is Italy. Mm-hmm. And you have to play the game. Yeah. And if they learn to balance and learn the politics, they will be very successful. 
Italia da Core. That's uh, you know that that's ah. what came, that's what came <laughs> to mind. Uh, Sven, when we when we asked, I remember when we interviewed Sven Goran Eriksson, uh, or one of the times we interviewed him on the Italian Football Podcast, and we spoke to him about you know the things he's seen in Italy, and he 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 says yeah, Italy is Italy; it never changes. That's true. <laughs> that's how it is. That's true. <laughs> so. Um, you know, before we let you go, what uh, what do you got coming up next on the Italian Football Podcast? Because you've had some very big guests, including Sven Goran Eriksson. Yeah. Um, what do you got coming up uh, with uh, with my my soulmate? Apparently, uh, Carlo Garganes. <laughs> yeah, I, I work with a gobbo who's just a gobbo as you are, and, but he's but, but you're less dramatic as he is. I, 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 you every time you withdraws, he just absolutely loses it. And, and yesterday, I was laughing my ass off when he was comparing Allegri to Sean Dyke of Burnley and calling you the Burnley of Italy. <laughs> But I mean that that's just that, that's just hilarious and, and it's absolutely funny as hell. Look, um, but no, we, we we've got some good interviews coming up. We've you know we're gonna we're, we're we we do we do what we do. We do our Monday show, which is the review show of everything that's happened last week, uh, focused on the games. And the Thursday interview interview show is always someone who's connected to Italian football as much as you know whether it's a player, president, a journalist. Someone, you know, we've had former boxer world champions like Joe Calzaghe, like Pauli Malinaggi. I mean, we always try to keep it like that, even if it's a football fan or someone, someone who's connected to Italian football in some sort of way. Um, and uh, yeah, just be, you know, watch the space because I'm, you know, me, I'm really, I'm really uh, superstitious. Uh, that way, I'm more Italian than you and more, <laughs> more Neapolitan than Carlo Garganese. I don't like to say anything until. It's one hundred and ten percent. Right. <laughs> you know, know. Once, once it's all said and done, and I've done the interview, then maybe I can reveal who we've got. But that's just you know my nature. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. So, um, like like my my father would say, "Misaluta tutte." Tell Carlo we said hello. Uh, and thanks, of course. And thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to have you on, man. And always the best with everything you've got going on. And we'll talk again very very soon. A pleasure was mine as always. I love what you guys do. You know it. I've known you guys for almost 10 years now, which mm-hmm. is weird. Time yeah. flies fast, but I love what you guys do. Keep on doing it and uh, love you both. Grazie. Un abbraccio forte. Yep. You too. Talk to you soon. And special thanks again for Nima Tavale for joining us on the show. Mr. Rojas, we've got a full schedule coming up this week with uh, all different competitions and including the return of MLS, my friend. So let me lay some matches of the week on you here. Starting on Tuesday, uh, we talked about it earlier, Villarreal-Juventus at 3 p.m. And then we're going to go to the CONCACAF Champions League with Montreal facing Santos at 8.30 p.m. On Wednesday, we have Liverpool leads United at 2.45, Atleti Menu at 3 o'clock, and NYCFC uh, Santos of Costa Rica at 6 p.m. The, uh, the, the Montreal matches Santos uh, of Mexico. Um, so NYCFC Santos of Costa Rica at 6 p.m. on Thursday. Napoli Barcelona second leg 3 p.m. The Sounders and Seattle Sounders and Motagua at 10:30 p.m. in the Concacaf Champions League. And then on Saturday we hit Mönchengladbach Wolfsburg at 9:30 a.m. in the Bundesliga. Everton Man City at 12:30 p.m. in the EPL. And then we welcome back MLS with the introduction of Charlotte FC, DC United Charlotte, uh, 6 p.m. on Saturday night. Then on Sunday, Sevilla Betis in the uh, in La Liga at 10:15 a.m. Strasbourg Nice at 11, and we're going to close out the weekend with Lazio Napoli in the Serie A at 2:45 p.m. A great matchup. Those times are all Eastern. Check your local listings for the uh, times in your area. So, Mr. Rojas, I asked you a question earlier tonight. And it was, there are two teams in the top five leagues that are unbeaten at home in all competitions. Uh, Can you name the two teams? The first one that I had in mind, and I'm not not feeling too confident about it, but I am going to give it a go, Mm -hmm. is the first team Atalanta. 
No, they have been beaten at home. They're not on okay. this list. We'll give you. I mean, okay, now that now comes a tough one. Can I get a hint? Um, I one of the teams is English. I'm, I'm gonna get because the other. If I gave you a hint okay. on the other team, we'll give it away. Okay. Um. Okay. Well, <laughs> is one of them Bayern Munich? No, Bayern Munich has been beaten at home, and I, I think that was recent too. I think that was mm-hmm. uh, against Union Berlin. Um, it might have been Union Berlin. Or, uh, or or they lost to somebody very very recently at home, so it's not them. Um, I'm going to say Liverpool. Liverpool is the English team that has not been beaten at home. Um, and convenient that City lost today at home to Spurs. Uh, but Liverpool and actually this this question came out before that. So, um, Liverpool is one. Can you give me the other team? I'll give you one shot at it. <sighs> it's a superstar team. Real Madrid? The other superstar team. Barcelona. The other superstar team. PSG? That's a bingo. PSG and Liverpool are the only two teams in the top five leagues who are unbeaten at home in all competitions. That's according to ESPN FC. So there's your trivia. You got your matches of the week. Great interview with Nima. Great talk about the Premier League and the title race. Uh, Nothing left on the list, my friend. So let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. And for episode 349 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Nima Tavale for joining us on the show. Next week, we will recap the round of 16 for Champions League. We'll look in on the other title races, especially Italy, to see if it's still as tight as it was going into the weekend. And we'll give you all the action and drama that comes up in the world of football. So for episode 349 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Vero. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>